We are in Champions League, man. That was my Dilly din, dilly dong, come on. I will love it if we beat them. Love it. This is the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast with Gary Kearney. Hello, welcome to the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast. My name is Gary Kernin. Joining me for this episode is Andy Rose. Andy is a current player with Motherwell in the Scottish Premier League. He went through the Bristol City Academy in England and then went over to UCLA, spent four years in the US college system, and then played in MLS and then came over to Coventry City and made his way up to Scotland with, with Motherwell. So. I was really excited about getting Andy on the show for a couple of reasons. Firstly, I wanted to get his insight on the experiences between college, professional, and then not only that, but professional in the MLS and professional in the UK. Uh, I wanted to hear about coaching and how coaching was delivered in those different environments. I also wanted to hear about his current coaching journey that he's just starting. He's done his UEFA B, so he's on the road there. And then also... He is uh, he's married to Bob Bradley's daughter, so I wanted to ask him a couple of questions about that and what he has taken from Bob Bradley too. So it's absolutely brilliant. He's doing this on the week of the cup final, so that tells you everything about Andy's time that he's given up. So I really, really appreciate this. Please, please, please let me know your thoughts for the podcast at Gary Kernin on Twitter, at Gary Kernin on Instagram, Coach Kernin on Facebook, Gary at modernsoccercoach.com if you want to drop an email. Thanks so much for listening. Enjoy. Andy, thanks so much for joining me this morning on the Modern Soccer Coach podcast. Oh, thanks so much for having me, Gary. I appreciate it. During a time of that academy program, was it still a time of the character building, clean the boots, do all the menial tasks, or was it had it softened up by the time you got into it? I would say it certainly softened up. I started... Um... You know, I was in Bristol City Academy, started under 14s, and uh, yeah, it was it was definitely that. You know, it definitely softened up by that point. Obviously, we you know we trained um, you know at night time. Obviously, the same training ground as the first team. So, you know, on on days where we could, we would go and watch the first team train, and uh, you know, and, and take what we could. At that point in time, Bristol City were were in the championship as I sort of made my way up to the under 18s. Um, so it was a great time to be there. Uh, Gary Johnson was the manager, but I think I sort of probably was lucky to kind of miss out on um, all the sort of ruthlessness of uh, of youth football back then. With obviously with the US now, with all these academies being almost starting to go into a little bit of professionalism with the academies over here where where was your biggest challenge in the in the academy program was it was it the mental side was it the technical side uh you know it's a good question i think academy football nowadays is you know especially in england you follow it and it's very technical and if you go and watch an under 18s academy game now you'll see um a lot of you know, technically gifted players who 
play the ball at the back and it's sort of, you know, one team will have it swinging it around the back and then the next team will have it swinging around the back. And I don't think it necessarily always really prepares you for, you know, men's football, for professional football. Um, and oftentimes players will, you know, go into under 23s football from, from the academy and then go on loan to, you know, when I was at Coventry City the last couple of years, um, we had a lot of players come on loan from top Premier League clubs. And uh, it certainly was a bit of a shock to the system when you realise just how competitive professional football is um, in comparison to sort of what you're used to in the academy. I think when when I went through, you know, I decided pretty early on when I was, I think, um, had just turned 17, I was going to go out to the States on a soccer scholarship. And um, I was fortunate enough to kind of understand that whole system and, and how to get out there. Um, so, you know, I kind of pulled myself out of really pushing for a professional contract, which, you know, at that age is, is so important. I was sort of more focused on, um, on getting out to the States at that point, but, um, no, my, my experience in academy football, Bristol City was fantastic. It certainly, um, prepared me for the next level. You used the phrase there, softened up, and that, that might be a little bit harsh just with, uh, but obviously when you look at like the class of 92, it can be a very, very tough, mentally challenging place when you're in a group, you're almost in an adult environment at 15, 16 years of age. And the what maybe separates the top players in that environment could be their character, resilience, all those mental qualities. What's your thoughts on developing those at a young age and without obviously going down a road of having them do things that bullying? And... Yeah, no, I think... Um... You know, especially from from an early on, I think coaching is so important at that, you know, in that sort of uh, age group from 16s to 18s. And it's not I mean, you know, I'm probably at that point in time when I was a kid, I was, you know, I was the captain of my under 16 team, under 18 team. But I, I was no by no means the best player on the team. We had kids playing for, you know. Welsh under 17s, uh, the English under under 17s. At no point was I really called into those sort of camps. Um, you know, I would probably say I was probably middle of the road. But at this point in time, you know, 10 years on, I'm, I think, one of three players from my youth team to be playing, you know, professionally. So I think at that age, it's not always, you know, the most talented players that, that make it through. I think you really have to have a really strong mindset, um, a great attitude, and there's, you know, at Motherwell now, we've got a couple of players who have made the jump um, in this last season from academy football to the first team. And uh, the two in particular who have made the biggest jump and really gained a lot of valuable minutes and been key players for us. Um, the one thing that you would notice about them straight away is not their talent, but just their mindset and their attitude when they step out on the pitch. They're just so competitive, work so hard. And that's really been drilled into them at a young age. Um so, you know, I think mentally more than anything, um, the play, what I always say to players who are, you know, 15, 16 is, look, I, I wasn't the best player on the team at that point in time, but I've probably made it the furthest out of anybody on my group. And that's just, that's just, you know, down to mentality and wanting it more than maybe the next guy. I would assume then, as you made the decision to go to America, your education would have been in pretty good standing your your grades you still would have been a pretty good student going through that Bristol Academy yeah I decided to um continue on and get my A levels after GCSEs um you know it was just something I was fortunate that my, my sister was a very talented tennis player a few years older than me and she had the chance to to take um you know a tennis scholarship in the states at Northwestern University so I quite, kind of had a, a pretty clear picture of of how to go about it 
um, in terms of taking the SATs and all that sort of stuff. So unlike most, you know, there was a few of us, uh, you know, at Bristol City that were doing it, carried on with school, carried on with our A-levels. Obviously, a lot of kids drop out of school at 16 in this country and uh, and go into the workforce. And, um, you know, I had a pretty clear picture that I did want to go out to the States and experience that. Um, so fortunately, um, you know, that that's what happened. And it was a, you know, it was a great decision for me. From looking at your pathway, there's there obviously is the drive to overtake certain players in the long run. Uh, the awareness to see that this is not quite what I want in terms of first team football. I want to go to the US and do this. So all those that mentality slash with the awareness piece, is there a role in education there that we're you know because again that class of ninety two, that era of academy football education wasn't a big thing, but it it looks like education is starting to become. A little bit of a priority at, in youth academies around the world. Yeah, I think just in terms of of building really well rounded professionals and you know the the opportunities that you know continuing continuing your education can provide. Um, you know, not every seventeen eighteen year old is going to be the next big thing, unfortunately, and and I think uh, it's it's certainly very smart to have something to fall back on. Um, and I do think, you know, continuing your education does make you more well-rounded and, um, you know, can lead to, to different types of opportunities in life. So without a doubt, it was the best decision uh, that I've made heading out there and, and doing something completely different. And I figured if I was going to do it, you know, I looked at a few different schools um, and, uh, you know, I was really fortunate that UCLA were interested. And and I figured if I was going to go out to the States, then uh, why not go, go all the way and, and head out to California? I played with a couple of uh, players who had came over from the English system, similar to yourself, played in England Academy and then come into a US college. And I was really taken aback by how easily they found the demands of college soccer outside the actual game itself. So like the demands of coaching, the training regime, the pressure that kind of went with college life, I just they just breezed through it. Uh, did you find it similar or was it was did you find UCLA really challenging? No, I actually really enjoyed that part. I think it's a good point because, you know, the, the academy system and now you're starting to see it more with MLS academies. And I think making that jump to, to the USL teams, the you know, the MLS affiliate teams and then eventually, um, you know, to the first team that that jump into college soccer was was really easy because, you know, I had experienced, um, you know, sort of, you know, life as a pro in a way I'd watched. Uh, the first team trained so often I'd been training with the reserves and and sort of um, seeing what it was like to be a pro day to day, how you had to take care of your body, all the things off the pitch you had to do to, to maximize your potential. Um, so I was so fortunate at UCLA with Jorge Salcedo and Eddie Soto as my coaches. They were, you know, ex-pros, knew what it took. And, and really, I felt like I went into an environment where you know, out of our squad of whatever it was, 25, 26 guys, there was a good percentage that really wanted to, to become professional players. Um, so the intensity of training was excellent. Um, tactically, I learned an awful lot. Uh, and it was just overall a great environment. You know, we would train in the mornings, then go to class afterwards. So it was, it felt like a very professional environment and a great stepping stone to eventually, you know, go into the, to MLS. So in terms of stepping stones, then to you know you you obviously came over them with that in mind then to go to MLS eventually after the four years or throughout your UCLA career. 
Yeah, definitely. You know, I think, um, you know, because I'd got my A-levels, I think education was something that was, you know, sort of ingrained in me. I think like, like, you know, most kids growing up in England, all I wanted to do was play professional football. Um, and, you know, fortunately, not long before I went out to UCLA, David Beckham had arrived uh, with the Galaxy. And and obviously he was a, a huge hero of mine growing up. And um, I just kind of wanted to follow in his footsteps really back then. And, and so going to UCLA and seeing the amount of players that had gone through that program and were playing in the MLS or even playing abroad back in Europe, I always felt like my path would um, would hopefully lead to MLS and, and back to playing in Europe at some point. Um, that was always the goal going out there. Um, but of course, I was able to, to get a degree as well, which was an added bonus. How frustrating was the the college season schedule then to this to this plan of yours? It must be highly frustrating to come from a year round development schedule to go from August through to November and then settle twiddle your thumbs till Christmas and then can I, so there's a question mark in the spring season what it's all about yeah it's strange and obviously you know you would know better than anybody about you know how maybe that can be developed and changed in the future um you know I don't know quite where the conversation with that is now it, it certainly was frustrating because those three months are so intense and going to a, a you know a school like UCLA where winning is um is sort of demanded and and you feel like uh if you don't win then you're letting the program down and 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 that pressure was was great and it certainly prepares you for the next level but then you know you have to wait and uh wait so long for the next season to come around and the season's short it's so much fun um you know in the summers uh, I played PDL I went up to Seattle and played for the Seattle Wolves my freshman summer and then after that, I played for Ventura County Fusion, uh, which was awesome. And, and, and to this day, some of my best footballing memories uh, because it's just it's just fun. You know, you're playing with your friends and, uh, you know, the pressure's a little different. It's, um, you know, it's summer league. It's, it's good fun. Um, and so development-wise, I was surprised at how many really good players were coming out of college soccer because, you know, like you said, you're only playing a few months out of the year and, how does it affect you moving forward? And then, you know, your first year as a pro, you know, how do you kind of take that in stride? Um, so I think at some point it should change. Um, obviously now you're seeing a little bit of a shift, I think, with where players are coming from with the homegrown contracts and the USL affiliates. Um, you know, play a, a lot of the better players maybe foregoing college, which I think is a shame because, um, you know, in my experience it was – outside of soccer and, and, and my career, it was uh, it was an incredible experience and one that I certainly wouldn't swap for anything else. You were pretty intentional then about your kind of structuring your summers and getting to the Wolves and getting out those extra games. What did you do during the year? Was there a plan at UCLA, like almost a, a top-up plan? If you want to play professional, then you're expected to do X, Y, and Z, or did you tend to lead yourself in that there, or how did that work? You know, in, in the spring season, we would, um, you know, we would train as much as the NCAA would permit. Um, there were a few opportunities where I was able to go and, and do some training with the LA Galaxy, um, which was, you know, half an hour down the road, which was amazing um, and certainly helped me feel like I could make that jump to the next level. Um, 
and as a group of players we had so you know especially my junior and senior year we had a great group of players um you know quite a few guys were playing in the mls now kellen rowe in new england earl edwards in uh, orlando um a really talented group of players and uh so we would we would oftentimes drive each other you know i was fortunate enough to be the captain of that team we we had a lot of captains practices um and it led to you know my senior year we, were, we came close to the national championship we lost on on penalties in the semi-final to UNC, which was um, a blow, but uh, you know we, we, had, we had a great season, and I think um, part of the reason why a lot of us have gone on to have successful careers was because at that point in time, crucial points in time, we really pushed each other. How was that session with the Galaxy? Was Beckham playing? He was. He was my first my first time out with the Galaxy. Um, he was, and I was. Uh, he was just coming back from a from his Achilles injury and uh that was a pretty surreal moment since then I've gone on uh been able to you know I played against him I scored my first professional goal for the Sounders uh against the Galaxy and, and he was playing that was a really cool moment in my life and um obviously I was I was playing in the league when as it is now so many so many incredible players uh you know were playing so to, to play against some of these guys and test yourself was uh was pretty cool Talking about playing with and alongside great players, playing alongside Clint Dempsey in, in Seattle, similar, you know, he was he went away, did the Europe thing, came back. Did could you see what Europe had done to benefit his game, or was there a, ever a conversation, advice, or insight? Uh, I mean, you know, I think Clint, uh, an incredible player. First of all, just you know his balance, and he's so strong, he's so difficult to get off the ball. He's one of these players that just, um, you know, can take a game by the scruff of the neck and do it himself, um, which when you play with a guy like that, you just want to give him the ball as often as possible in, in, in dangerous positions. So, you know, my role when he came was, was literally I, I would always be keeping an eye out for, for where he was on the pitch and, and try to get him the ball. I think his career really took off. Uh, you know, obviously he was had an amazing time at Fulham and, um is a bit of a cult hero there now um you know obviously a big move to to tottenham and, and had multiple teams looking at him and um i think he went back at the right time and, and obviously uh had such a great career with the national team um i think at that point in time where mls was it was probably necessary for for a player of his talent level to to head over to europe and, and really test himself at a higher level now, you know, looking at the league and, and the type of players that, that are being attracted to the MLS, um, you know, if he's 23, 24, whenever it was he decided to go to Europe, he, he probably wouldn't have to now, to be honest with you. Similar to your academy jump from moving from England to UCLA, being an established player at Seattle and then deciding to go to Coventry in England was a pretty big jump as well. What was the motivation behind the decision? Yeah, it was an interesting decision. I'd come to the end of my four-year deal with Seattle and I'd been offered a new contract. I absolutely loved it there. Um, you know, my, my sister actually lives there now. There was no real major reason to leave. Everything was, was brilliant. It's an amazing organization and um, it was a really tough decision to leave. I just felt like, uh, you know, as a, you know, my, my family, my mom and dad actually live not too far from Coventry. So when that option popped up, I thought it'd be a great chance to to get back to England, really test myself in, in a new environment. And I think as a, as a footballer, you, you know, you do have an opportunity to play in, in different places. Um, 
and although Seattle's a, a fantastic place to live and a great club to play for and it'd be great to get back there one day, I just felt like, um, you know, I was 25 at the time and it would be a cool opportunity to, to try something new, to see something different. I had always, since I left um, England at 18, I'd always felt like it'd be great to to be a professional in England, um, get a taste for, for what that was all about. Um, so it was a, it was a difficult decision, um, and a real, you know, one that I learned an awful lot from. So certainly no regrets. Yeah. Interesting to hear your insight on the differences between coaching in the MLS and the UK. So not necessarily the quality of coaching, but coaching behaviors in terms of there's, there's obviously increased pressure in the UK because of what the fans demand every week, I would say, and that would create does that or does that create a more confrontational environment than it does in the MLS? Yeah, I'd, I'd certainly say so. Um, you know, my my first six months at Coventry were were fantastic, and uh, we had a great group of players and a great team, and just missed out on promotion to the championship, which would have been a great step in my career. And then uh, the second year was, um, I mean, it was mind blowing. We we ended up having four different managers in one season. Um, just one after the other, new tactics, new philosophies, not the best changing room. Um, and it, it really opened your eyes to off the field problems at a big football club and, and what goes on. It makes you appreciate, um, what a really good club is all about and, and how, you know, having just good people around the place is so important. It, it certainly made me appreciate my time in Seattle and, and the continuity. And obviously since then there's been a coaching change since I've left. Um, but still the backroom staff is very similar. Um, and they've obviously gone on to, to have continued success. Whereas, you know, it's, it's just such a shame, I think in England. Yeah. It's gotta be very, very difficult for you're talking a manager, four managers in a season. Is it just what results, what, what, what contributes to the old phrase, you know, losing the dressing room? Without being specific on who and what, but you know, how does how does a player gauge a manager and say, no, no, that's not for me? Well, I think first of all, I mean, when a new manager comes in, you you know, you you wanna you wanna be able to size each other up pretty quickly. Um, you wanna see first of all if you fit into his style of play. Um, you know, I'm a fairly versatile player, so throughout you know, those changes, um, you know, I was, I was able to play and kind of get a good sense for what, you know, what each one wanted. Um, very different in terms of, you know, our first manager at Coventry, Tony Mowbray, who, uh, you know, has gone on to, to, you know, has had a great career, obviously with Celtic and West Brom and was a fairly big name manager. Um, it was great to work with him. He really wanted to build from the back and, and play a really nice style of play with the ball on the, on the, on the deck. And, uh, you know, one match we had at Coventry, Russell Slade, um, for instance, you know, everything was sort of up in the air and you're sort of typical old fashioned English football. So learning how to play those different styles was certainly interesting and a bit of a learning curve. Um, I think, you know, for me, seeing how each of those um, came into the dressing room and tried to get the players behind them was interesting. I, I think... You know, if I was going to go into coaching and, and have a group, I, I would just really want a humble group, um, free of egos, and just try to get them constantly improving, playing as a unit. And to be honest, moving up here to Motherwell now, my career, 
Um, I've got a great manager in Stephen Robinson, who's, who's from Northern Ireland, a really young, enthusiastic coach who I've learned so much from. And, and the one thing that's that I've noticed that's been probably different than anywhere I've been is just the type of characters he's brought in. Um, we're a really close-knit group of players, um, definitely free of egos and, and just work incredibly hard for one another. And, and it's shown in our results this season. It's got to be very difficult to, again, the, the stability in MLS with the coaching or the, the decrease in noise compared to the UK from social media fans, the Saturdays, whatever it is, I would say that allows you to build a relationship with the coach easier than it is to build a relationship with someone who's three results away from getting the sack. Yeah, I'd say so. Um, you know, I had for four years, I had Ziggy Schmidt as my head coach in Seattle and, and we had a great relationship. And to this day, keep in touch. Um, you know, I think, uh, different type of pressure for sure i do think the mls you know probably unfortunately might get to that point mm. um you know especially with the bigger franchises and as the league continues to grow and and the crowds expect you know expectations go up um you know it's very difficult in that market to to sustain um you know so much success and obviously you've seen it with Probably Toronto have been, uh, you know, the, the top tier club in the last few years. Um, and if you watch the way they play, their style has has stayed the same. And they've, they've had so much success the last probably two and a half, three years. Um, and now you're starting to see a little bit of a dip, um, you know, in that situation in England with the manager be under a ton of pressure. You know, probably you see even even now, you know, with Chelsea's success lately and, and all of a sudden Conte's under so much pressure. Um, there's definitely a change and I hope, you know, MLS doesn't go down that route. Um, because I do think when you find a good coach and there's so many great young coaches in MLS right now, giving them time to, to really instill something, for instance, you see in Columbus with Greg Berhalter or Jesse Marsh in New York Red Bulls, and you can see a real defined style of play. Um, you can see a real identity forming in the club. Uh, and that takes time, you know, that mm -hmm. takes a, a lot of effort and time and, and obviously those guys have done a, done a great job. Yeah, I find it really fascinating how in MLS, and maybe it's a US uh, sports behaviour from coaches or from play, fans, sorry, that if, if results aren't going well, they'll, people just don't go to the games. Whereas in the UK, people go to give the coach and players abuse. <laughs> it's just, so what would you yeah, rather have? Yeah. No, I think... Uh, you know, one thing I've learned over over in the UK is is the incredible passion of the fans. You know, and I mean, if 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 the team doesn't play well, you'll know it. You'll hear about it, um, which probably isn't always the case in MLS in all the markets. In some markets, I think it certainly is there. Um, but uh, over here, you'll you'll know it. I mean, the the fans have a real sort of educated view because they've you know a lot of these a lot of these people have been going to games their entire lives every week. Um, and so they have a, a real sort of opinion on it. And uh, you certainly learn to have thick skin. Not everybody's going to love you, I think, as a player or a manager. Um, so you have to have to learn to have a real self-belief. Um, and just as time goes on, you know, in, in MLS, I think that, you know, you know, the fans would become more educated they'll understand the game better and they'll, you know, as a result, they'll start to voice their opinions in a bigger way. Mm. Um, going back to then 
fellow countryman Stephen Robinson. I don't know him personally, I never met him, but I've heard really, really good things about him. Certainly don't expect you to give me anything that goes against that in this uh, in this interview, but I'm interested to see what areas you think he excels in as a coach. Yeah, I mean, I've been really, really impressed by him. You know, I've um, I've started my coaching badges, and, and so I'm always constantly thinking about what I would do in certain situations, and, and I, I feel like he's constantly one step ahead. I mean, just in terms of recruitment, I mean, uh, beginning of the Motherwell didn't have a great season last year, and he brought in about 14 new faces, which is a massive turnover for any team. Um, and you can tell by the type of characters we have and how well and early on we all sort of clicked together and sort of formed uh, this bond that, so much homework went into the type of players he was recruiting and, and bringing in the type of people on his staff i mean you've just got a really good people all pulling in the same direction which um believe it or not is, is not always the case at a lot of football clubs um and then tactically you know we've i don't think he was entirely sure of how we would look when he brought all these new faces in but we've kind of settled into this uh three five two system everybody just knows their roles i mean and we work a lot you know throughout the week on tactics especially on on what the opposing team for the weekend is is gonna you know is gonna look like um but what i've been so impressed with with us and with him is how seamlessly we can switch into you know a a 4-4-2 with a diamond or a 4-3-3 and different players everybody just knows their role so well and not only that but they you know the, the guy next to them they know his role um and training is incredibly intense. It's by far the most intense training regime I've been a part of. It's enjoyable. You know, you, you go to work every day and, and, and you look forward to it, which, again, isn't always the case with, with certain managers. It can sometimes um, be a bit of a drag. You do the same sort of drills every day. With him, it's, you know, it's different type of stuff. It's testing you, testing your brain each week. Um, so And his enthusiasm for the game is fantastic. I mean, we... Um, you know, today, obviously, Monday leading up to a cup final against Celtic, where without a doubt we'll be the underdogs. I mean, uh, his meeting today, it was, it was brief. It was, you know, only about six, seven minutes. Um, but coming out of that meeting, everybody was just so fired up already for this game. And it's only Monday. Um, so, no, he's got, he's got an incredibly bright future, that's for sure. Two, uh, two Northern Ireland men going at it on Saturday. Brendan Rodgers? Yeah, of course. Obviously, you know, Brendan Rodgers also a fantastic coach in his own right and uh, has had another incredible season there. You know, we've played Celtic four times this season. We've run them really close. We've drawn twice and lost twice. We got to the the uh, League Cup final as well and lost to them, um, you know, in that one. So that's, that's a bit of revenge on our minds for sure. But, uh, you know, you can't deny he's a, he's a fantastic coach. Just, uh, just to go back there, what you were saying there about, you know, being – being confident in roles and responsibilities in the system, uh, in your three-five-two, and then, but still being flexible and adaptable to change that to go into a diamond or to go into a different system. How does a coach? Or how do you see a coach facilitate that? Is that a player-led, or is that coach being adaptable, or where's the balance there? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I think again, we're fortunate because we're you know we're we're a group of guys who are very ego-free. I think he's won our trust because we early on we had a lot of success. Um, so everybody kind of bought in. I think that's probably the hardest thing for a coach is 
is to get, you know, however big the squad is, 25, 26 different personalities, all from different places to, to really buy in because, you know, as you know, it only takes one or two bad eggs and, um, you know, clicks start forming. And, and I've been part of dressing rooms like that where not everybody's behind a manager. If you're not playing, then you're a bit sour and you start saying stuff to somebody else and, and it just becomes contagious. And, and we don't have that. We've got a really competitive group. Um, you know, I said it the other day that if you ask 10 fans uh, to give their best starting lineup, you, you might get 10 different lineups because there's 15 or 16 players who probably deserve to, to be in the starting lineup. So, you know, that's a really tricky thing to to kind of um, to, to manage. And he's great at that. He's incredible at keeping guys focused. Uh, if you're out of the team, he, he makes sure your body language is very good. You're, you're not kind of, um, you know, mentally checking out or anything like that uh he gives guys opportunities who deserve it based on based on training so it's not one of these cases where you know you know the team every week you know you need to be on it in training and as a result you know the intensity is 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 excellent and and you go in you feel like you're really getting better each day because you're constantly being tested um so no i think the biggest thing that I've been impressed with is just the fact that he's he's been able to get everyone to really buy in. Just on your personal journey, then uh, you've already got your UEFA B, so you've you've started pretty early. Yeah, you know when I was when I was younger, I read a um, when I was I don't know probably twenty one or twenty two, just coming through in Seattle. I remember reading uh, an interview Stephen Gerrard did where he just said, you know, I wish I had taken my badges earlier because you know as a pro, obviously you. The way you take care of yourself off the pitch is is sometimes just as important as as what you what you're doing on the pitch. But you do have an, a lot of extra time. Oftentimes you're done by, you know, half three, you know, four o'clock every day. So you do have extra hours in the day. Um, so uh, you know, a part of the reason for my decision to to come and play in the UK was to go ahead with my UEFA licenses. Um, and so uh, after my first season at Coventry, I, I took my UA for B through the Welsh FA. There were some great names there. Some, some uh, you know, I met a lot of really cool people, uh, learned an awful lot. That took me about a year to complete. Um, so I did some work with the Coventry City Academy players with that. And then um, in, a, in a couple of weeks here, I'll be starting my UA for A license again with the Welsh FA. So I'll be going down to to Cardiff and uh, spending a week a week down there and then it will be an additional week um, next summer to, to finish that so it's, it's something I'm really excited about doing I've heard really good things about the Welsh FA seems to be that they're yeah the names they're getting there Pepin Linders and Thierry Henry it seems to be a really exciting place to do your your badges yeah the, I was so impressed with the course um it's just very open-minded, you know, I've heard different things about different federations and their licenses and a lot of things I think are very textbook. Um, and with the Welsh, I just got a sense of you can really be yourself and bring your own identity. And I think in today's game, especially, and, and what's really cool to see is it's coming out in, in MLS for sure. But if you take the, the Premier League and you see so many different types of philosophies, you know, with, with Klopp's pressing at Liverpool or, you know, you know, the way Pochettino has set up his Spurs team and had so much success the last couple of years with the young squads. Um, obviously, you know, watching Pep's Man City is, is incredible. But all these philosophies are very different. Mourinho, you know, very pragmatic and, and obviously maybe not quite as fun to watch. But, you know, Man United have finished second. So obviously he's done something pretty well. 
all these different philosophies. There's so many different ways to play the game. Um, you know, one manager who's really impressed me this season and the team, of course, is Burnley and Sean Dyche and what he's been able to, to get out of that group of players, sort of punching above their weight. Um, and I think with the Welsh, that's very emphasised, is, look, as long as you can, can get your points across and, and they're concise and you understand what you're trying to do, then then it's free reign. Um and, uh, you know, I, I can't wait to uh, to get back there and, and get going with my A licence. Was there any areas that surprised you uh, going on to a course that you thought maybe the depth of insight that was now available um, coming from a player's perspective? Yeah, I mean, I think it, honestly, I think it made me a better player when I, after the B licence, just because as a player, you're, I've always been very focused on, right, I want to make sure I do my job well today. And so I want to, have a very defined role um, and not every coach I've played for has really defined my role and so especially here you know with Motherwell I've really enjoyed that part of it because I know I've got to do A, B and C and if I do that for the team I've played my part and I should come off the pitch feeling pretty good about my performance and you know what I learned from that course was just as a coach you need to be able to to spell that out for 11 different positions you know 20 different players um, with different skill sets. You need to be able to understand each player inside out, know what he can bring to your group. And then, you know, on the tactics aside, you need to be able to figure out how to get the best out of that player. Um, you know, I, there's a famous quote going around now of, of what Julian Nagelsmann at Hoffenheim has been saying about 30% of the game is tactical and 70% is social competence. And I think that's, that's certainly true. You know, each player is very different, motivated by different things. Um, and it just, it really showed me that to be a top, top coach, not only do you need to be a great communicator, a great teacher, but you, you almost have to be a psychologist as well, because you have to figure each of these guys out um, to make sure you're getting the best out of them. How much conversations do you have with Stephen Robinson? Did you find yourself grabbing a coffee with him or sliding up beside him and asking him coaching questions? Yeah, you know, he's, uh, you know, I've got a great relationship with him, which has been, been awesome. Obviously, we've only worked together for a year now. And his assistant, uh, Stephen Lasley, who used to be the club captain at Motherwell and had a brilliant career here. So he knows the club inside out and is a really approachable guy. Um so no this has honestly been uh it was a bit out of the blue you know I was thinking about maybe trying to go back to the states after um you know I I decided to leave Coventry uh and this opportunity kind of came out of the blue and um I'm so excited about it and I've really enjoyed my season it's been uh eye-opening in different ways and um you know one of the things I'll always look back on is certainly my relationship with Stephen Robinson and what I've learned from him um because I'm sure you know a lot of the things that he's taught me I'll I'll certainly try and take with me moving forward. You're married to Bob Bradley's daughter. I'm sure you get this a lot. You know, I, I assume that dinners have always, conversation at dinner has always been about football and soccer and different aspects of the game. But as, as you then start to move into your, you know, your coaching journey, uh, are they taking a different different route now? Are you challenging them in different areas? How's that going? Yeah, no, obviously... Um... You know, I've got got so much respect for Bob. I've known him a long time now. And, uh, you know, to see his journey, um, obviously, when, uh, you know, he was still a national team coach when, when I was in school at UCLA. And then to, to see what he went through in Egypt and all the experiences there. And, um, you know, 
again, part of, you know, there were so many reasons that my wife and I decided to, to kind of take the jump and move over to the UK and kind of coincided what, with, with what Bob and his wife, Lindsay were doing. And, um, you know, they were in Norway and then France and, and then obviously, you know, seeing the opportunity at Swansea and, and everything that went along with that. Um, you know, we've, we've had some awesome conversations. He's, He's uh, an encyclopedia of knowledge. He's a great coach. Um, I've got a lot of friends who, who play for him now at LAFC. And um, to hear, you know, obviously I've never been coached by him, but um, to understand what he's all about and forming a real identity and having real idea of the way they play. And I think already, I think, what are they, nine or ten games into to existence at LAFC, I've probably watched six or seven of them. And it's so impressive to see the way you know, a group who have just been thrown together in the last few months have, have really, um, really clearly taken to him. And you can see his philosophies uh, come out in the way they play. Um, and and as he was putting together that team, it was really cool to, to hear some of his ideas of the way, you know, literally start a, a massive franchise from scratch. Um, it was so interesting to, to, to see some of that insight. And um, obviously, it's exciting to, to watch their success now. Just on that, I mean, that there is, it's almost a coach. I've asked a couple of younger coaches this on, on podcasts and interviews. has been like, what if you started a club from scratch, what would be the one area that you would invest in? Um, tactical analysis, scouting. In terms of your perspective, what would where would you look to to put the most investment of finances or time into? Wow, that's a tough question. Um, I'll probably have a better answer for you after this A license course, <laughs> to be honest with you. Um, I think uh, if you're starting a team from scratch, I think, first of all, you need, you certainly need need some leaders in the in the changing room. So, you know, in Bob's case, I think he was, he was quick to, obviously, Carlos Vela, incredibly talented player and was clearly going to be a leader on that team. And then uh, such an important signing, in my opinion, for that team was Lauren Simon at the back. Um, you know, for me, I, I think building a strong spine with with really good guys who, who are going to buy in, who are going to be great leaders, who have good experience um, and are going to, you know, are going to be easy to follow and, and, and are going to buy into your philosophies and you're going to get on well. I think finding those guys is, is, is the most important sort of first ingredient. Um, and then obviously everything else is kind of based off that of how you want to play. Certainly um, having a, a great analyst, we've got an incredible analyst here at Motherwell who, who just works his socks off and is, is working deep into the night and all of our meetings are just so impressive and so concise. Um, so I think finding a guy like that on your staff is, is huge, you know, obviously building your staff with, with guys you trust, um, guys who are going to come in every day and, and, and be pulling in the same direction. You know, I've been part of teams who you sort of feel like, um, maybe the the head coach is thinking one thing and, and one of his assistants is thinking something else and there's different directions going on. And I think, if I was able to build a staff, I would really want guys who I trusted, who were on the same page. Uh, we had a single message, um, you know, that, that the players could really get behind. It seems that the big danger in MLS in terms of getting a big time player is that character element, is that you could get someone in England who, because someone comes over and is a great professional, like the Beckhams or the Lampards, or you could get someone who's just coming over for the money. Um, and I suppose that type of recruitment can exist at any level like Motherwell could sign someone who's just coming for the wages 
So it exists probably at every level of professional football. Um, what questions would you ask if you're doing that recruitment about that player to people around them just to find information? How would you gauge whether that player has a strong character or not? You know, I would, I would really want to find ways to speak to to different people you know at clubs that he's been at um on the staff you know guys like the kit men i think uh i think you can learn an awful lot from from guys who are in and out of the changing room every day different players he's played with uh what's his body language like um how you know is he vocal is he you know is, is he is he good to everyone is he smart is does he enjoy himself at training every day and the biggest thing for me is just um you know, enthusiasm. Is he enthusiastic? Does he want to train? Does he want to get better? Especially with young players. Um, you know, that, that that's the biggest thing. You see so many talented footballers come through and, and just, especially in this day and age with all the money going on, especially in England, um, and so many of them just fall by the wayside. I mean, I, I grew up playing against so many top players. One of the best players I, I think I probably played against when I was 17 was, was Jack Rodwell at Everton. I thought he was a future England captain at that point. I was, you know, I played against him in central midfield and he was incredible. And obviously he got his big money move to Man City. And since then he's, you know, the, the wheels have really fallen off and, and I don't know him personally, so I can't say that's a character trait or anything like that. Um, but you do wonder really why some guys make it and some guys don't. Um, you know, one, if I had a group of young players and I was asking them to to focus on, you know, different guys and, uh, you know, have role models, one player at the moment who's obviously really in the public eye is Mohamed Salah. Um, but just if you read about him and you read what people say about him, he's just the most humble guy, um, so enthusiastic about the game, great with his teammates, Um and that's the kind of guy you want, you know, somebody who's going to come in every day and have a positive influence on the changing room. Two years ago, I went to a Leicester City Sports Science Day. Absolutely, it was all about recruitment, tactical analysis, a little bit of, uh, you know, fitness work in there as well. People just giving 30-minute presentations and, and the work that was done on Leicester on sports science and recruitment was just blew me away. But I found myself sitting, I sat in the wrong, I wasn't, I wasn't supposed to sit down without looking at the seat. And it was a Leicester City staff seat, and I couldn't get up and leave. So Craig Shakespeare sat down beside me, who was Ranieri's assistant, and oh, I thought, yeah. I thought, wow, what a what an opportunity I've got here to. And it was right after they won the league, or were just about to win the league. Yeah. And I thought I've got to ask him. Like, so we'd done this this presentation on recruiting and and all this the other you know all the science and the technology of recruiting. And then they had a break and I said, you know, Craig, can I ask you a question? What is it about your team that's that's kind of catapulted you to this level this year? And he just said, simple, good people. And I thought, right, you know, in what way? And he's like, just good characters. And it's funny how that, that seems to be a common theme of what you're saying there. But whenever we're talking about recruitment, do we put enough emphasis on finding out whether they're good hard workers, humility, you know, is that being lost whenever we're looking at almost the glamour of the game in terms of technology and tactics that good people make good teams? Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I mean, of course, there's, um, you know, of course, if you're going to be a, one of the best teams in the world, you need some of the best players in the world. And some of the most talented players in the world are not always going to be the most selfless people. Um, so there's certainly um, 
players you would make room for in, in your squad. But I think on the whole, yeah, I think you need to know what, what the guy's all about. Because if you're investing money into, into somebody, it's, uh, it's so important to, to really understand his character, what he's all about, what he's bringing every day. Because like I said before, all you need is one or two sort of, you know, bad apples and, and all of a sudden things can uh, things can really spread. Um, so if I was looking at a player and uh, and I had the choice between a, a really talented player or a really hard worker and uh, and the gap in talent wasn't huge, but it's it clear one player was a little bit better, I you know, I'd probably take the hard worker because I knew I know what he's going to bring every day if, if he's not starting if he's coming off the bench I know his attitude is going to be spot on and and at the end of the day you're looking for guys you can count on and that's always been something throughout my career you know I've not always been the the best player on my team by any by any by any means but um I've always wanted to be somebody that you know a coach can count on in, in tough games and big games and big moments he can look at me and feel like you know what he's going to give me everything he has today and uh and more often than not I've been on the field in those games so Without a doubt, that's um, that's something that uh, is probably you're probably right. Is a little bit underestimated. All right, last couple of questions for you. What advice would you give to the thousands of college soccer players who say that they want to play at the next level after they finish their college careers? You know, I think you you just need. To, I mean, you're right. There's there's thousands, and um, getting into the MLS is is just getting harder and harder. Um, you know, we, we talked briefly about the, the type of DPs that are being attracted. And all of a sudden now with Atlanta's model, with LAFC's model, you know, younger DPs are now, you know, starting to come to the league. Um, incredible, incredibly talented players, you know, oftentimes from sort of South America coming to the league. And so it is getting tougher for, you know, 19, 20, 21 year olds, um, American kids to, to break through. Um a good bit of advice I had when I was at the combine, um, you know, the, the MLS combine and, and kind of getting ready to, to be drafted and, and having no idea where I was going was, was just that when you got into a camp, be, be a young player, the, the older guys, the more experienced guys really want on there, you know, five aside team, six aside team, whatever drill you're doing that day, be a guy that, the that those, you know, experienced pros want on your team. There's always, you know, to this day, um, when we're playing a, a small-sided 6v6 at training and, and a couple of the under-20s are training up with us, uh, with the first team here, um, there are guys, there are young guys, and think, uh, yeah, you know, I want him on my team. Um, so, you know, I, that's probably the best piece of advice I got and I would want to pass on. Okay, Scottish Cup final coming up on, on Saturday, big one. Uh, without asking you, you know, about your your personal preparation or the team's tactical side, can you give us a layout of what the week is structured for in terms of training and meetings? What's the load like for the week leading up to a big game like that? Yeah, sure. I mean, uh, you know, we had a game on Saturday, so we had uh, our last league game was on Saturday, so we had a day off on Sunday. Um, we were in this afternoon for training, so we had, uh, you know, all day Sunday and, and Monday morning to rest. Um, we had a, a brief meeting um, just to kind of go through a few things we've done well against Celtic throughout this season in, in our games against them. Um, kind of, uh, 
you know, to just make sure everyone believed in what we were going to try and do this weekend. Um, the guys who, uh, who played on Saturday didn't do a whole lot today. The guys who didn't had a really sharp, tough session, um, probably just over an hour, um, a little bit of uh, a passing drill, you know, um, some possession into a small-sided game. It was short and sharp, um, you know, a really good blow, not too many breaks. Um, tomorrow, we'll definitely go into – we'll start going into more 11v11 stuff when everybody's available for training. Um and we'll just, uh, you know, we'll nail down exactly this week leading up. We'll, we'll certainly be, we'll get all the work we need, all the work we usually do, the the high intensity running and all that. We'll make sure the stats are, for everybody is up and uh, a normal work week. But um, certainly a lot of the focus will be on how they're going to play, where we can break them down. Obviously, Celtics are a really good team with the ball. They've got some fantastic players. So, a lot of our work will be out of possession um, where we want them to play who, you know, from their team, we sort of would prefer to have the ball at certain times. Um, you know, a lot of what we're, we'll try and do, I'm sure we'll try and make them go outside and, and not through us. Um, so that'll really be the, the focus for the week. And the last two most difficult questions, best player played with? Best player I played with is an easy one. Um, Oberfemi Martins, for sure. I think uh, it's a sh- it's probably a shame. I mean, he obviously had a, has had an incredible career. But I think he probably could have done more when he was in the Premier League. Um, but uh, with us, he was a great guy in Seattle. Uh, even on days, you know, regen days, days after games where, you know, it would be a lighter session. He would always want to join in with the reserves and play. Um, great worker, great attitude. Um, really just uh, sort of a lovable guy, great in the changing room. And the type of guy who, kind of like Clint, you could give him the ball and uh, you knew something was going to happen. You could go onto the pitch. Uh, even if you, after 70 minutes, you didn't feel like the team was having a great day, you knew that he would uh, he'd find a way to put the ball in the back of the net. So um, he was, yeah, he was, he was great. And best player played against? Best player played against? Um, the, the big names, the two I would say are... Um, Thierry Henry um, in my my rookie year in Seattle played against the Red Bulls Um, it was right after we played against them twice and uh, we had just won the Open Cup in Philadelphia uh, midweek and then we played played them on the Saturday and uh, he really gave us the run around that day he was he was fantastic Um, obviously growing up in England and and seeing him in his prime uh, with the Invincibles and uh, being a Man U fan and kind of uh, always just watching in awe of what what he used to do to to Manchester United, he was absolutely fantastic. So to be on the same pitch with him was great. And then uh, the other one would have to be Kaká. Um, we actually I only actually played against him once, and and we um, we beat them quite convincingly. But uh, he was um, individually just just outstanding. And again, one of those players that you're on the on the field with, and you're just thinking about all the times you watched him play and all the the magical moments he's brought the game. Um, so yeah, those those would probably be the top two. Henri and Kaka, pretty decent combination there. What um, Henri is <laughs> a little bit of a different player then with Henri because his pace was blistering at at his in his early stages of career. Um, was he a little bit less mobile in MLS or what? What was the problems he caused you? He uh, he was just so intelligent. You know, you could tell he had played 
uh, under a manager like Arsene Wenger and a manager like Pep Guardiola, just so intelligent in his spacing, um, the timing of his runs, where he would find the ball. You know, oftentimes, thinking back to that Arsenal time, you know, he would drift out to the left and kind of drop in and and be able to just glide past past players and you know and whip a ball with his right foot. He had so many of those incredible back post finishes. Um, yeah, I'd say his his role slightly changed, but. He was just so comfortable getting on the ball absolutely anywhere um, and so strong and, and so balanced. It was so difficult to get the ball off of him. Um, so, no, he certainly played a massive role in uh, in getting MLS to, to where it is today. Brilliant. Andy, thank you so much for, for your insight and your time, especially in a cup final week. I wish you all the best on Saturday. We'll be looking out for it and hopefully we'll get you on again soon as the, as the coaching coaching journey develops awesome yeah no i really enjoyed that thanks so much gary thanks so much to andy for his time and his insight there i hope you enjoyed that as much as i did a couple of takeaways for me the level of awareness that he has not only to get to where he wanted to go so if that was going to ucla or if that was going to coventry or if it was going to mls whatever it was the level of awareness and what it was going to take to get there I thought it was really, really impressive. But then on top of that there, he always looked for more. So when he got to a certain level, he kept his eyes and ears open, kept learning, kept readjusting his goals. And I think we can learn a lot from, you know, we always pick up books of Cruyff and Guardiola and, and those guys. And, you know, we can learn an awful lot from them. I agree. But we can also learn a lot from what players are doing and sometimes I think their paths are misunderstood even as coaches and in coach education we think the players you know shouldn't get it easy because they just waltz into a, a coaching course and get a diploma maybe a little easier than one or two other people but I think that that level of thinking I don't think does us any favors in the long term because I think we've got to be aware of the work and the sacrifice and the focus needed to be a top player and to stay at the at the top um, in my discussions with Craig Harrington, I always talk to him at, at the Red Stars and he's always saying about, we're always talking about top players, top coaches and, and in terms of their personalities and who's worked with who and he's pretty adamant that if to get to the top and to stay at the top, you have to be a good person. You have to be a good person, you have to be humble, you have to be good to be around because otherwise you don't survive in, in locker rooms, you don't survive with coaches. So. Uh, that's definitely, definitely, Andy is a great example of that there. So just comes across so well um, in his sharing his experiences of the game. So really enjoyed that. The other piece then for me was, you know, the insight of working with someone like Stephen Robinson. And you're, you're talking about the level of communication uh, and the level of information when you're, Andy's got a cup final now this weekend and a massive, massive game. And you can see even at that level that, you know, it's very much about doing what they've always been doing and, and there's processes in place to keep everyone on track so we think of cup finals as a big emotional day and you can see by that there just a little inside look that it's that it's not all the time that big games are only maybe big games on tv and big games on the occasion but for the top coaches and the top players it's just a case of doing what you've always been doing so i thought that was uh, i thought that was really really interesting so thanks so much to Andy, that was great. And to give up that time, the week of the Scottish Cup final, uh, says an awful lot about the type of person that, that he is. So uh, top, top class. So 
Thanks again for that and thank you for listening. I appreciate you supporting all the time. Please, before you before you go off today, please just give a little rating on iTunes or whatever platform you're listening. Uh, let me know what you think of it. Always, always, always love hearing coaches' feedback, coaches' thoughts, what they enjoyed most. Andy's on Facebook or Andy's on Twitter, so feel free to reach out, give him a shout, tag him on any posts. Um, and then also, you know, if you have anything for me, Gary Kernin at Twitter. Gary Kernin on Instagram, Coach Kernin on Facebook, and if you want to reach out with an email, Gary at ModernSoccerCoach.com. Thanks so much for listening. Have a great weekend. Talk soon. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast. For more coaching topics, sessions, and resources, head on over to Coach Kernin on Facebook or visit the website at www.ModernSoccerCoach.com.